pray and spray. I want to I wanna share a bit about overcoming strongholds today. But before I start, I'm going to, well, I'm going to share a bit of my testimony. Uh, disclaimer, this is not to recall the good old days. This is not to give glory to the past. This is not to show that I have made it. I haven't. I'm far off still. I haven't um, arrived at my destination. It's just I trust that, that my testimony about my past and what Jesus has done through me and in me will, will show you that it's, it's, you're not too far gone, too old, too messed up. Everyone has their story. Not everyone's story is a horror story. Mine is a bit of a mix. Before we get going, let's start with 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in my formative years, I grew up mostly on the farm in Kalahari. And uh, it was quite a privilege to grow up on the farm. We do things that kids in town can't do. By the time I was sub B or grade 2, I could drive a bucky. I could handle a firearm. I could hunt. And I could skin a goat or skin a sheep. I could just jump on a horse and go riding on the horse with a gun on my back or whatever. You know, make a fire, bribe, what call. The downside was that there was lots of work to be done. And some kids in, in town would look forward to the school holidays. We dreaded school holidays because you're going to work yourself into a coma. No sleeping in, no TV because we didn't have electricity. We had an old generator. I grew up with, with uh, the going to church every second or third Sunday because church was 140 kilometers away. You know, people don't want to rock up for church now because it's too far, it's too late, it's too early. We had to drive 140 k's to get to church. 140 k's on the gravel road was like a two, two and a half hour drive. So we left the house at like five in the morning. Still to date or family quiet time was the norm. And on the farm, because we, didn't, we had a generator, but we would kill the generator. We'd have the lamp in the middle of the table, and we'd all sit around the table. And my dad would read the Bible, and then he would come and, like, you say, Gavin, what did I read? And Basop, if you didn't remember anything, you were in trouble. Baksla. Unfortunately, another norm in our household was racism. We belonged to the AWB as a family, early years. Those who don't know what the AWB is or who they are, it's basically a party of people justifying racism by bending scripture completely out of whack. So racism was the norm. Sad. I was exposed to pornography at the age of five or six. I wasn't even in school yet. I was exposed to pornography. And that was really the start of my brokenness how I got exposed to things I wasn't supposed to get exposed to at such a young age. My parents' marriage of 21 years came to an end when I was 13. Awkward. If you're a boy or a girl, I don't know, but if a boy, our hormones are rapid. Very nasty divorce. 
ended up with my dad emptying two magazines on my dog. Nine millimeter because he was upset the dog peed on the, the, the stoop. It was a toxic, toxic, toxic ending. By the time I was 13, I was molested three times already. By family members who called themselves Christian. They went to the same church as me. Now you can only imagine my self-confidence was, was taking quite a bit of a knock. I was exposed to pornography. I was molested. My parents' divorce came at the age of 13. At the age of 13, I was molested again. This time I could make sense that like, this is not supposed to happen. This is, this is not normal. My dad remarried within a year of getting divorced. So my mom and dad separated, divorced, and he got remarried within a year, which brought a lot of dynamics into this. Um, quick story. I would go to the field, go check the waters. I mean, our farm was big. It was like 8,500 hectares. It's humongous. I would come back home after working hard in the, in the sun and whatnot, and they all had bacon and eggs for breakfast. And I would come home and I would find, literally the one day I found a half a piece of toast left for me. I was being rejected, unfortunately. That's how I felt. The one day we were walking in town, Uppington, when we went to town, Uppington, nothing exciting. And we, all of us were walking in a row and I was walking next to my dad and my dad pushed me away and he took my stepsister's hand and he pulled her in next to him. I was the youngest, so that was always my place was next to my dad because my sister and brother was in Pretoria studying. But that really cut me. So eventually I moved to George. My mom, after divorce, moved to George after a couple of years. She grew up in George. They met each other in George, my dad and my mom. My dad was in the police. He was in the police college in, in Oetswaring. And eventually, my dad went to the border wall. So I went, moved to George to my mom. I'm like, I'm, I had it. I'm done. Moved to George. Uh, finished grades 11 and 12 there in Otuniqua. But uh, I continued my rebellion, yeah, because I started smoking when I was about 14 or so with my stepbrother, the younger stepbrother, like a stoat. I started smoking. I started bunking. The good thing, or not a good thing for me, was in uh, Tuniqua was that no one knew my dad, so I could write my own sign notes <laughs> and fake my dad's signature, and they didn't know any better. We would bunk school, drinking, rebelling. My matric exam, end exam, I rocked up still half intoxicated. Matriculated. And now I had lots of freedom. Because while I was still living with my mom, I still had curfew. But now I'm a trick. Done. Not in school anymore. And that's where things like, started spiraling out of control. Uh, eventually I joined a, um, a bike gang, a motorcycle club. Not a gang. A motorcycle club. I rode bikes. Went to rallies. And that lifestyle was just, I mean, it is crazy. I moved to East London eventually. It was the big uh, recession in 2010 or so. Company I worked for went bust, found a job in East London, went to East London, which was God's grace. 
um, I was almost recruited to the Hell's Angels in George. They, they approached me and said, like, would I like to join? So I probably would have been in a Hell's Angel if God didn't let me lose my job. Scary. So I went to East London, but I was still caught in the same trap. I was still partying, still drinking, still smoking on my bike. And it was a big, it was a big 1,200 naked bike, um, beautiful airbrushing. So it got a lot of attention, and I liked the intention because I wanted to be, to be loved. I, 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 didn't, I wanted to belong. That's why I joined the bike clubs, because in the biker clubs, you belong. You're a brother. You're taken care of. No one messes with you. You know, it is so... So vain. It's so empty. One night, things got a bit crazy. It's actually in Georgetown before I moved to East London. And it was so ironic because I got to the club. I had one drink, but it was, a, I don't know, but it was enough to push me over the blood alcohol limit. And a friend of mine went out to go buy cigarettes for us. And, I, and someone came like in a half an hour later, like, Franza, Franza. Rion has been stabbed. So I jump on my bike. I chase to the scene to go help Rion because back then I was part of the NSRI and I was level three, first aid qualified. So I thought, let me go help the guy. Get there. The police is on scene. Police looks at me they're like, oh, you coming here with your big bike? Throw me in the back of the van. <laughs> I get blood tested and I get locked up for driving under the influence of alcohol. I appear in court. I have a criminal record. Don't do that. Stupid. So it's London, things continued. One night I woke up one morning and I, and I realized I had to stop. Things had to change. The previous night I was so drunk that I got on my bike, my 1200, and I had to use the choke of the bike. Now, for those who don't know, like all the motorcycles had carburetors and you have a choke when it's cold to give it more fuel so it can keep going. I used the choke to keep the bike moving forward because I couldn't operate the throttle, because I had to focus on staying upright. It took me an hour to drive 10 kilometers. And I was like, idiot. I realized I was going to kill myself. So I got rid of the bike, because I realized I had to get out of this lifestyle. But it was still me trying to fix things here. So, so this whole, from growing up and what happened to me, Fine, but this whole lifestyle of drinking and, and sleeping around and pornography and, and excessive biking and those things, it was me trying to cope. It was me trying to fix things. I had this festering wound. Who, who here has had, had a paper cut? If you haven't had a paper cut, you haven't lived. I mean, I'm t- how sore, how sore are they? Now, my heart had thousands of paper cuts. I just didn't know it. I just didn't know it. I was manifesting all this, 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 this behavior and, and trying to be cool and fit in and be wanted. I just wanted to be loved. I was broken, people. I was broken, broken, broken. So eventually, opportunity comes for me to, to move to Cape Town. A new job. Always wanted to come to Cape Town. Moved to Cape Town. So excited found Josh Jim. Excited. I mean, you must remember the church I grew up in was a set and star. Eh? You sit and then you, you sit. And when they pray, you stand, you know. 
The church I belong to, you were only welcome if you were white and you could speak Afrikaans. Otherwise, you're not welcome. <laughs> They're still going today. I'm like, oh my goodness. So now I, I get exposed to this charismatic movement. I'm thinking you're all going to go to hell. Because how can you stand in a front like this and someone is dancing over there? And I'm like, but something about Justin, the way we do church here, just grabbed a hold of me. And I realized how desperately I needed Jesus. Just before I moved back to Cape Town in June 2014, I'm not one of those who can give you the hour and the date. And the weather, I just knew it was June 2014 after my ex and I had a rebound, whatever. I was just so empty and I realized, man, I cannot continue like this. Because I was so trying to fix things. So that night, I had my Bible. My Bible was always next to me. Throughout all these years, because I grew up in such a traditional Afrikaans family, the Bible was there. I would get home drunk and I would pray. I lie on bed and I would pass out. Just because to cover. <laughs> and I had my Bible and, and, and I it was a bit arrogant actually when I think about it. Now I'm, I'm like, Jesus, nothing works. Nothing. I'm willing to give. <laughs> please come help and save me. I'm willing to give this one more chance. That's what I said. <laughs> I'm so glad he's gracious because <laughs> if it was me, whoosh, <laughs> so I, I came to Josh Jane. Do you think I stopped doing those things? No, just less of it. Eventually, I came to a point where I realized I, I, I need a, a complete makeover, a, a complete, complete remake. I was, I, I was trapped. I was trapped in the cycle of doing the same things over and over and over again. I realized I couldn't help myself. So today I want to share with you how I overcome, overcome, overcame those things through Jesus. How he came and what he did in me. But there's a couple of things that needed to happen or need to happen to you or me before we can make changes or before we can start having breakthrough, is that I needed to wake up. I was on the express lane to hell. And that frightened me. It frightened me. I had to get my heart and my head in the right place. Because these two things like to fight with each other. And I needed to have the desire to change. If you don't want to change, it's not going to happen. So with these in place, Jesus used four things to change my life. Four things where he could take out these hooks in me, was hooked to chains and this massive concrete pillars behind me. Four things. He showed me he rooted me, he envisioned me, and he gave me family. You guys, you're my family. So he showed me the first point, the revelation of the cross. Now, growing up in my family, we, we, the Bible was read 
and we went to church, and we always heard the stories, but it was always just a story to me. And in Matthew 27, we read how, how Jesus was crucified, what, what he went through, the, the pain and suffering, and the humiliation he went through. And it's a couple of, like five years ago on Easter, for some reason that Easter, I was so aware of what happened. Like on the Friday, I was, like Jesus was probably being taken, being arrested now. And, you know, it, it, it's as if I was living it or experiencing it for the first time. And for some reason, I watched Passion of the Christ. Now, I've never watched that movie. And I was like, something in me just wanted to watch the Passion of the Christ. And I watched it that weekend. And I was broken. It's, it's like the first time I've realized what Jesus really did for me. And the revelation of the cross that I've been set free and grace. Because and, I cannot repay that. I cannot, cannot, and that's where it started for me, is the revelation of the cross. And every time something happens, I go back to the cross. It starts and ends with the cross. The Holy Spirit were playing with me, playing with my heart, like getting me soft and pliable so that God can start doing an amazing work. And guys, this was a journey of, of, of about a year or so. I can't remember, I don't keep books. But Russell was close to me on that journey. We kind of walked through the journey together and he was, he was alongside me. I, was, I wouldn't date myself back then. Rarach. No, seriously. If, if I had a daughter and I saw me, I was like, uh-uh, stay away. Second point is that he rooted me. Now, this is, this is critical. My identity in Christ. So why is our identity so important? So whenever we go through a difficulty, we tend to default to the thing, whatever our, our, our identity lies in or what, whatever we're rooted in. So if I'm rooted in wild behavior like drinking and partying and stuff, back then when I was unsaved, whenever there was pressure, we would go to the nightclub. So we would go drink and shooters and gaan bos, gaan mal, you know? But on this side over here, Jesus is like, come to me. All those who are weary and tired. But I keep on going, yeah. So even after my recommitment to Christ, I still ran to the worldly pleasures. I still went to these things because they were a quick fix. I was an addict. I was an addict. I didn't do drugs, but this was my quick fix. I felt fine for that evening. The next morning, I, was, I felt dirty. I, I would go shower and try to wash off the, the, the dirt, the, the, the shame, the condemnation. Because the previous night, I just went and slept with someone. So let's read Ephesians 3. Oh, sorry, Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 7. This scripture changed a lot in me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This, this verse here. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. I'm like, so once again, the cross comes in play. But what does the cross mean? What does it mean for me? And I was like, this, it, it, it hit me between the eyes. Like the, the creator of the universe, the God who spoke everything into being, who set the limits of the universe, had me in mind even before he created the earth. And I was like, man. How can I keep on going to these things if my Savior was, <laughs> was nailed to the cross for me, loves me this much? It broke something in me. It, it, I came to a point where I realized I'm not just a slave, I'm a son. And there's a huge difference, guys. The slave tries to please the master. You get, your, you get your work for the day. You go do your tasks. You come back. You're like, ah, I've done it. And he's like, okay, cool. Go back to your quarters. But the son, he doesn't have to please his father. His father's really pleased with him. And he doesn't go back to the slave quarters. He stays in the house of the father because he's a son. And I have to remind myself of this every single day because I tend to default to works. Our Afrikaans, we grew up on a farm. If you couldn't drive a bucky, hunt, skin an animal, and if you, if you wore long pants, you were made fun of. No jokes. If you had white legs that weren't tanned on the Kalahari, you were called a word I'm going to mention here. Works. Things. Christ. Sonship. Daughtership. How can I ever thank him? Third thing is, he, um, he envisioned me. He gave me the bigger picture in mind. Eternity minded. Now, what does eternity mean? Most of us here, I know all of your faces, but if you didn't know, after this life, this is the trial period, okay? The full version is coming, and there's two, two options. We either have Christ or we don't. We either have heaven or we have hell. And, and, and Jesus put my focus on heaven. Romans 8, verse 18 to 25, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to come or to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing to the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected futilely, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Can I jump to verse 24? For it is in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. I mean, I'm hoping I'm going to get supper tonight. 
But if I see my supper, I'm like, oh, cool, it's there. But it's not there. I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Yeah, it's, this is such a powerful scripture for me because I'm in sales. Not professionally, and, and Gavin's also in sales. Gavin, only difference is I get a salary at the end of the month, Gavin. <laughs> if he doesn't sell houses, there's nothing. And sometimes sales goes through cycles. Things get tough. You make calls and leads in your phone and email, and, you go, and nothing happens, and it's pressure, and the company books aren't looking that well, and the, I can see the profit and loss statements, and it's going into the red, it's going into the negative, and at home, our baby daughter isn't sleeping well, and my wife's tired, and I'm tired, but I'm studying as well. I'm doing, I'm doing studies. I'm studying business like, uh, accounting at the moment. <sighs> Family members who are bankrupt that doesn't have money. And these things can get heavy, and I just sometimes I just want to go, just want to go sit in front of the TV and just switch off a bit. Let's, let's Netflix and chill a bit. You see, that's not really dealing with the problem, is that, but when we have eternity in mind, when I, when, when the pressures of this world gets too much for me, I will close my eyes, and this is probably a silly exercise, I don't recommend you do it while you drive, but I close my eyes, and I imagine what will heaven be like, and I imagine being in front of my father, in front in front of the, of the throne by Jesus' feet and just worshiping in His glory and His, His presence. And it just resets. It just resets me a bit. It, all of a sudden, these things that's pressing doesn't seem that bad anymore. And look, guys, I'm not saying that we should deny our circumstances. It is real when there's I saw Andrew and Emma's video, MC's video. They're not denying the reality of the situation, but their perspective is focused on Christ. So I'm not saying, like, don't deal with it. What I'm saying is you mustn't deny the cross, and you must look to Jesus and let Him help you deal with this stuff. If you're going to try to do it on your own, it's going to break you. So every time things get hard, I close my eyes and I imagine myself in front of my father. And I imagine hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Now why is this point so important? Because when pressure gets, let me put it this way. We are in a process of sanctification. Me, I have weak spots. I have pitfalls. So when Things get tough. Some days I want to just go and run to a quick fix, a McDonald's. I'm an emotional eater. A McDonald's or a Netflix and McDonald's with a slab of dark chocolate in it. Because that will make me feel good. And afterwards I feel, because I'm gluten intolerant. <laughs> and I knew what it was going to do to me. I'm like, Ugh. But it, when, when I shift my perspective, it, it helps me not to default to those things because my identity in Christ is still being worked. I know who I am in Christ, but 
I'm only human, and I tend to default back to the works that I have to remind myself daily. And the fourth thing is, he gave me family, and this is accountability. Now, this is a subject not everyone likes. Sorry, not sorry. Because if you have an issue with accountability, you have something to hide. That's the truth. I knew it because I used to do it. So I joined this congregation. There was a guy called Gerald Elliott. You all know Gerald probably. like Killian. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald. So I went to Gerald, and I went to Brett, who was leading this congregation. I came here from another congregation because I did stuff that I shouldn't have done because I was bulldozing boundaries. And I just opened up because I realized I needed change. I realized my salvation was at risk. So I told them everything. Everything. Was it uncomfortable? Flip, yeah. Did it feel weird and awkward at first? Was it freeing? Absolutely. Did it mean that I walked out of there and I changed my behavior? No. No, 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 no. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man, lady, sharpens another. Accountability is not there for you to get caught out or finger pointed or slap on the hand. It's there because someone needs to show you blind spots. We all here have driven a car, most of us. Not yet. We pass a combi right? And we all know we have a, we've got blind spots when you drive. You have to actually turn your head to the side. Spiritually, we have blind spots. I have blind spots. And I'm accountable to people. This morning, I phoned Fred. Fred, because tomorrow I'm flying to Johannesburg with a colleague, a, a female colleague. She's married. I'm married. I said, Fred, let's check in every single day. Because I don't have any, anything to water, but I don't want to give the devil a chance. I don't want to have any, any crack door open this much. That's all the devil needs. That's accountability. So you choose someone that you trust. That, please, guys, don't go, don't go choose your beer buddy. Okay? Someone that's solid in Christ. Someone like a, 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 your calm leader is a good place to start. And, and the, some of the same sex, like male, male, female, female. Don't, don't cross-pollinate. That's just asking for trouble. <laughs> if you can, if that's a word. Because <laughs> you might cross some lines. So you choose someone that's solid in Christ, someone that has a track record of walking their life in, in a godly manner, that has victory in the things. And I've got a couple of accountability parts. I have someone I speak to about my life and family, and I have people I speak to about my finances, because I look for people who are good in those areas, that have track record in those areas. And I am proactively in contact with them. Not when I've already jumped into the cesspool here. And now I'm coming out like, hey, Bruce, sorry, man. I just like, got so drunk last night, so I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's in the moment when you feel like, like you, reach out, you take your phone out. And that, that's, that, for me, this was the most difficult part to do. It's in the moment when I see danger signs, pull out my phone and say, Gerald, I think I'm in trouble. Because that's when you're on your most vulnerable. 
when you feel the most amount of shame before just there's like a small small gap eventually by god's grace i broke three of the three of the things i but i continued my walk with gerald until he left and i still i'm still in contact with gerald we're still friends but i have my people i'm accountable to i have fred fred's a big guy Imagine I go tell Fred, hey Fred, look, I, I, I looked at what I shouldn't supposed to look. And Fred said to me, you won't be able to see out of your eyes for two days. You know? <laughs> I love that guy. It's awesome. So guys, accountability is so key. And it's not, I speak to many people. I like, I like uh, this morning, on my way here, I spoke to a guy in the park. I like to talk to people. And did you know what? It's only in Josh Jen really where accountability gets pushed as much. I'm like, but why, why, why just, just Jen? It's not just Jen as a, accountability should be a part of everyday life. So my friends, family, you guys are family to me. Like, I know each and every one of you. I love you so much. But I love you guys. So whenever things go, get rough, I remember the cross, what Jesus did for me. I remind myself that I'm his son. He rooted me. I'm his son. Guys, I make mistakes. I make The other day, this taxi almost took me out. And I tell you, what came out of my mouth wasn't godly. It just like, poof. He envisioned me. He, he gave me the perspective of heaven. And I want to take as many people with me as I can. And he gave me family. He gave me you guys. He gave me Fred. Because I need Jesus. I need the cross. I need his, his love, his grace. But I need you as well. I need my family for me to finish this race well. To stay free from those strongholds. To not go back to those things. Because tell you what, if I didn't come to church, especially now with COVID, it's so easy for us to say, no, 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 I just want to say the online thing. Me and Jesus on the couch. That, that's enough. You know what happens when you bry and you take a piece of coal and you put it one side of it, uh, from a fire? What's going to happen? You all know this answer. What's going to happen? It's, it's going to go cold. I see this happen so often. Where people fool themselves in believing that not going to church but doing the online thing on my terms, because I don't do church, or they don't do church anymore because I got hurt in church. If you got hurt in church, well, that's because it's full of sinners and we, we hurt people. We do things. I do things sometimes. We need each other. We need Christ. We need the cross. We need the rem- His grace. I need accountability. I had to come fully wanting to change to cross to to the cross, completely exposed, and stay accountable to my friend. So guys, thank you for, for your time. Thank you for listening to my story. But I want to encourage you if there's something if you have a hook 
your neck, your side that's burning, that's, that's hurt, if there's a stronghold, don't, don't keep quiet. That thing will fester. It will destroy you. I've been close to destruction. Find your calm leader. Find a deacon. Find an elder. Talk to them. Be vulnerable. When Jesus was lying on the cross, he was naked. The pictures always draw a little clothy. He was completely exposed. Your life might just depend on it. Thank you. Cool. So what I want to do is I want to ask if there's anyone here that do struggle with strongholds. A couple of weeks ago, I would like to pray for you. So if there's anyone here, please stand up and we'll pray together. Come on, guys, it's, it's no shame. Actually, it's victory. Just remember, Jesus loves you just as much. doesn't love you less. Oh, Father, we, we thank you that we are your sons and your daughters. We thank you, Lord, Father, you have made a way for us to be, to be in fellowship with you. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would, you would come and work in these people's hearts. Bring breakthrough, Lord. Father, we pray that they, yeah, they would earnestly, earnestly seek you in this, seek your seek freedom in this father and if they don't have people they're accountable to or no one to talk to they will have the courage to come to someone and say hey i need help but ultimately ultimately it's you jesus you're the one that can bring healing you're the one that can bring freedom and it's not easy sometimes we want to hold on to these things because it's, we're familiar with it and we kind of feel like if we don't ha- hold on to this, we're floating in the, in the ocean with, with no shore in sight. It's scary sometimes. But Lord, I want to ask that you would give them peace, strength, and courage. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.